Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode of Narratives of Purpose. I am your host, Claire Morigande. On this podcast, I bring you inspiring individual stories of ordinary people who are making extraordinary social impact. My guest today is Fanny Kaufman. Fanny is a global medical affairs leader in oncology at Takeda. She's also very passionate about animal welfare, public health, and patient advocacy. In our conversation today, she tells me about her new journey into One Health and how this approach, which is at the interface of human health, animal health, and ecosystem health, is a viable solution to solve global health challenges humankind faces in the 21st century. Please take a moment to rate and review the show by subscribing on your preferred podcast platform. But for now, have a listen to my discussion with Fanny and her insights into One Health. Hello, Fanny, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Hello, Claire. How are you? Very good. Fantastic. So today's discussion is a bit special because it was prompted by a reflection that I had over the current COVID-19 pandemic. We are now early 2021 and we are entering the second year of this global situation. We have all changed our habits, um, the way we work and the contacts that we have with people around us. And one important achievement is that Within one year, vaccines were developed, and they are now available. This means that from the time that the first cases were reported outside of China, early 2020, up until today, early 2021, we already have people who can benefit from the vaccines. And that's quite a remarkable achievement. And I wanted to have a discussion with you today, Fanny, because not only we have similar backgrounds. We are both biologists. We both studied at the University of Geneva and have similar professional experience within pharmaceutical and biotech companies. Correct. (laughs) But you have a special interest and even a passion, I would say, for global health, one health and animal welfare. And I think the situation that we are in today is an evident reminder that everything and everyone is interconnected. You were the first person that introduced me to One Health, and I really look forward to learn more about this approach. But before we jump into that, I know you were on a sabbatical, and I'd like you to tell me about what kept you busy during this time. Thank you. Absolutely, you're right. So I decided, despite the pandemic, to take a break from from my professional life to explore different interests. And one of them, as you rightfully mentioned, is animal welfare. And One Health is the other one. And for the past six months, I've been very fortunate that I could go and help um, some animal shelters in different parts of the world, first in Eastern Europe and then in Mexico. One thing that really struck me is that we're all connected, um, whether we're a human being or an animal, we'll all have this uh, primal instinct to, you know, to survive, to eat, uh, fight disease, etc. But contrary to us humans, the, the animal, they're a bit left to their own device, I will say, especially companion animals. And because of lack of 
regulation in policies in some countries, they end up having huge population of stray animals on the streets, um, which have to fend for themselves. So I decided, okay, I want to experience, I want to learn from the people in the front, how can we make the situation better? So I was helping really namely with Spain neuter campaign, but as well understanding what type of disease uh, those animals have. Uh, some of them can be transmitted to humans, but not all of them. And in parallel, because you know it was very hands-on, I wanted to still keep challenging my, my brain and my intellectual side, I would say. And I started, I embarked on this journey on uh, studying One Health with the University of Edinburgh. So that's a part-time program where we're really exploring all the aspects of One Health, and I'm sure we're going to talk a bit more about it in a minute. Uh, you just mentioned animal welfare. Is that what's brought you to understand and learn about this approach? That's a good point. Actually, so during the, the first lockdown in, in spring 2020, I was reflecting, okay, what, what can I do? Because we're all stuck at home, clearly, and I had enough of watching, you know, movies and series or reading books. And I wanted to, to learn new things. So I went on Coursera. I'm sure you're familiar with this platform. And it's a huge platform. So I wanted to learn more about animal welfare. So I did type in animal welfare and I did some course. But then when I looked as well um, into public health, which was another topic of my interest, I realized actually there is an intersection and animal welfare and health actually intersect with human health and ecosystem in general. And I was, hmm, let me look more into this. And I did. So I did find a fascinating course that was actually uh, from the University of Geneva, whose title was Intersection Between Human Health, Animal Health, and Ecosystem Health. And that's how my journey started in, in April 2020, so to speak, with One Health. So it's quite recent for me as well. Now, I'm more familiar with the concept of global health, but now you're telling me about the intersection between animals, ecosystems, environment, and human health. So is that the difference between global health and One Health? Yeah, so I think you understood right. So I think global health as we currently know it, and this term exists for, for many years, is really focusing on human health issues, which are present across continents, so to speak, they have a global impact or scale. One Health, on the other hand, is very recent. I think it, the term emerged in the early 2000s. And it's really about what connects actually human health with animal health and ecosystem health. When you start looking into this, you realize the, the field of, uh, let's say, medicine, whether it's human medicine or veterinary medicine, have been broken into silos, although they have a lot in common. When you really start looking into this, you realize everything is interconnected, intertwined. So for instance, and I guess that's the most flagrant uh, example that everyone is familiar with, COVID, um, the SARS-CoV-2 virus started because it was present first in animals, usually in wildlife. And then it passed either onto a domesticated animal uh, with, with whom the uh, human being will be in contact, or sometimes it can jump directly from the wildlife into uh, the human population. So there's really um, a lot actually of connection. This is something those emerging infectious diseases which are really uh, 
an important part, I would say, on, on the One Health agenda. But that's not the only the only area, but that's an important one. Can you talk about the other areas or is it only this one area that is more of interest to you? No, so this one is very prominent. But I would say the other topic of high interest are, for instance, antimicrobial resistance, um, food safety. And in general, I would say um, the fact that we're going to have a, a growing population, so we're still going to be more and more humans on this planet. There is really like how we start taking more and more space, right, on planet Earth. So we do... Um, interact more with animals, whether we want it or not, with wildlife animals. And we take more space on natural ecosystems. So on land that used to be untouched and now is going to be either covered uh, by cities or let's say by, by human villages, or on the other hand, by fields, because we need to grow more food uh, to feed ourselves. Okay, basically, if I understand that correctly, it's a way of breaking the silos that we have built up with time you know, to define better our own environment, our health, and bring everything together, because in the end, there is no limit between all these aspects. Absolutely. There's a continuum, actually, between the human beings as well as the other species and how we live all together in the same environment. So we are all interconnected. Our health definitely is interconnected. Can you apply this approach in your professional context? I mean, this is probably a provoking question because, you know, working in the pharmaceutical industry and and now you have this interest in One Health, how do you bridge this interest and everything you're learning into your work today? That's a very good question. And I'm still figuring it out. Um, I think one part that is interesting um, in pharmaceutical companies, you know, you have all this aspect um, on, on public affairs, you have corporate affairs, and it's really how you connect to the external world. You work as well with partners, uh, you interact with a lot of different stakeholders as well, government, policymakers, etc. So I think what I would take from the One Health approach is really the mindset. It's about breaking down silos, as you said, it's about being collaborative, It's about working together and gathering different perspectives and expertise from stakeholders around the world from different areas, not only within the, the pharmaceutical and biotech, but as well considering the needs and perspectives of others. So, for instance, you know, we need to consider, okay, uh, how the patients, you know, what are their, their needs, what, you know, uh, what connect them to a, to a global issue. Same with, with physicians. We have been very good at, I think, connecting with physicians so far as a pharma company, um, but as well connecting with payers and government policymakers, as I mentioned as well. And generally speaking, how we connect with society as a whole, you know, how do we how do we come across? And I think we really learn now from COVID that we're all in this together. There's not one single, you know, player or country that's gonna win if the others, you know, are, are not in the same, um, let's say, designing the solution together. So for me, it's really that, that's the mindset. It's really about being more collaborative, being more open, learning from other perspective stakeholders and bringing those expertise together at the same table to define solutions that make sense for, for, for nowadays, let's say for the 21st century challenges we're facing, who are truly uh, global challenges. 
Yeah, yeah, that's actually quite interesting because talking again about, you know, COVID-19 and the vaccine that was developed quite rapidly, I think the major question that comes up now is the access to the vaccine. Because what we see right now is that the wealthiest countries are really fighting to get their doses. But then for the low and middle income countries, this is going to be a challenge. And as you were saying, I think the fact of collaborating and finding solutions with different partners for global issues is going to be key. And one specific aspect is, you know, ensuring that access to to medicine is going to be made available to literally all populations around the world. Is that something that One Health is looking at or is it totally not related to the cons- the approach of One Health? No, I think I think I do and and just to comment on what you mentioned at the beginning uh on the access to to vaccine uh for for the current pandemics. I think that's something that has been strongly acknowledged by by WHO. And they did uh, design uh, COVAX, so that's uh, actually an accelerator where they really try to bring uh, all players together. And the goal, the ultimate goal, is working for global equitable access to the COVID vaccine. And one of their tagline is, no one is safe unless everyone is safe. And I think for me, this is this is what we need to keep in mind. This is not about you or me or an individual, my grandpa or our colleague. It's about everyone. So we really have to step back and think, okay, we're not the only one affected. We need as well to have a more global approach to this problem, which is very difficult because at the end of the day, a lot of our societies live in a very individualistic manner. So... I think access to medicine is a big topic and will remain a big topic uh, on the agenda for for all disease, for health, generally speaking. And that's really something that's as well very close to my heart uh, that I hope I can, you know, contribute to, to this as well in, in my future role as well. So what do you think people who are listening now and who are interested in the topic need to know? Are there some ongoing initiatives in terms of increasing awareness in this area? So generally speaking, I would say, more coming back to like One Health initiatives, there is a One Health Commission. They have as well a, a, a website that you can find a lot of information on. And they do a lot of education initiatives. So I know that one of them that um, I just came across recently and I found was very interesting was But for instance, you know, uh, how bats and rabies, you know, rabies is a very old disease. I'm sure uh, people may be familiar with that. You know, your dog or your cat could be at risk of rabies. If you travel, you always need to have an anti-rabies vaccine for them. Uh, So there is some education, for instance, around that. There is as well the um, aspects which are, I think, more innovative, but as well one health beyond the fact that we really focus a lot on on science you know on health whether you know the ecosystem human or animal there is as well the social science aspects 
you know, uh, how do we how do we behave? How as a community uh, we evolve, and the socio-economical aspect. So they have as well some uh, educational uh, resources, and there is, I think, I believe, a, a, a team page that they're developing, focusing on the social social science aspects uh, of One Health as well. So I think there's a lot uh, happening. It's it's a fascinating field because it's really going in many directions. I think what is important is that we still keep focusing what, what is a goal, the ultimate goal. One thing I really do appreciate is to see that it's really acknowledged now by the WHO, for the, by the OIE, by the FAO. So OIE standing for the Animal Health, Internet, uh, Animal Health Organization. FAO stands for the Food and Agriculture Organization. They really embed this One Health approach uh, in program and they collaborate as well. <laughs> because again, even huge organizations such as a World Health Organization might be very siloed from their, their neighborhood who are the animal health um, organization. Yeah, it's true. It's good to know that even these big structures can collaborate because I think it also gives a good example, right? And to the point that what you just mentioned before, other ongoing initiatives, because the One Health agenda became so big over time, there is now a World One Health Congress uh, happening every year for the past three or four years, I believe. Uh, the last one was virtual. So, But in the future, I'm sure that people that are interested in that topic could attend. And I think it's usually always at the end of October, early November. So another question. Do you know from your experience and what you have been studying so far, if there are hotspots, I'm not sure if this is the right word to use, but if there are hotspots around the world that might eventually trigger a new pandemic or some sort of outbreak at a large scale, I'm thinking, for example, about things like Ebola or even the fact that, you know, um, the forest in the Amazonian region is just going down at a, such a rapid speed. Are we at some sort of risk there to develop diseases that we haven't been confronted with before? I think many places of the world are at potential risk. And because we live in such a global world, then everyone is at risk. But uh, for instance, I think uh, the example you brought uh, about Ebola is, is completely right, but as well from other um, infectious diseases, which are no longer new, but we have a lot about re-emergence of older disease. For instance, it's not because the pandemic, let's say, of MERS or SARS back from the early 2000s are under control that the problem is over. It's far from being over. Actually, it's always being monitored. And as long as there is, let's say, a proper surveillance in place from the different agency, as well, the government, etc., then we are fine. But the same with, with rabies that I mentioned earlier, which for me is a, is a very simple example, but this has been around for, you know, very long time, decades, and we still have cases of rabies around the world. So whether it's going to become a pandemic, probably not, because we have, you know, vaccine for the animals, we have program in place. But at the end of the day, I think it's all about how we humans tend to take space on nature because we're in a growing still population around the world, we need space, whether it's for us to live as an habitat or to grow food to feed ourselves. So that's 
per definition per itself will create a conflict, let's say, uh, with uh, ecosystems and, and modify them. Whether they are resilient enough uh, to sustain or growth is a, is a big question, yes. Okay, yeah, so I see it's quite complex and I have to say that when I was preparing the discussion, you can easily get lost when you start diving into this topic. There's so many interconnections and somehow you don't know where to start. It might sound a bit frightening and even pessimistic to some extent because we see all the harm, if I could put it like that, that we have done to our planet. But at the same time, I think we, we need and we still have to be optimistic. Because even just the fact, you know, that in this past year, you know, we were able to put together so many resources to develop a new vaccine to face this uh, global situation. This also shows that, you know, we can bring these resources together to work towards our own well-being and the well-being of our environment and the ecosystem where we live in. But still, I do think that it's kind of an alarm signal for all of us. What do you think? No, I think you're right. I think, I mean, similar as well, indirectly as well, uh, we are connected to uh, climate change, you know, and, and the global climate crisis, which we know has been happening for, for, for a while, the global warming and its consequences, but we haven't really tackled it, uh, let's say, as strong because maybe we don't see the impact on our daily lives maybe because it's not as restraining. So I agree in a way, I think we could always see the current situation as, a, as, an, as an alarm um, for us to maybe reflect on how we want to, to behave and which future world we want to live in. So what would be your advice for younger people who want to start a career in life sciences? So I think the first one, first and foremost, and this advice is for everyone, is be curious. Um, curiosity is, is very healthy in the sense that it makes you challenge your thinking. You want to learn more. You want to discover more. So I think it's very important to, to bring this, this attitude to the table, regardless of what you, you want to study. In life science in particular, and I think I reflect because I graduated now around 14 years ago, and I think it has extremely changed the way um, we are teaching nowadays. And I realize that in my, in my part-time degree I'm doing in One Health. I think collaboration is really critical because there is such a vast amount of knowledge and data. We cannot organize it by ourselves. And we need to acknowledge that a lot of uh, different people bring different expertise and each of them is required. We each bring a piece of the puzzle together, if you wish. So having this collaborative mindset, uh, breaking the silos, challenging the status quo, it's not because something hasn't been done in the past that it cannot be done in the future. I think really keep this yeah, this uh, energy and positivity that we can find solutions together. I think that's the most important. Attitude is everything. Great advice. Is there anything that you would like to add on this topic that you probably might have forgotten to mention and you think it's relevant for the listeners to know about? 
one topic that maybe I didn't dive so much into on ongoing initiatives, but or maybe something where you know there is maybe a need for more increased awareness, and it's already happening. It's about AMR, the antimicrobial resistance. I think it's uh, the next big, uh, as we call it in French, Damocles sword above humanity's <laughs> health. Um, so AMR, in short, is the fact that we have bacteria start resi resisting to the current antibiotics available. And nowadays, uh, we are extremely lucky because with the current antibiotics, we can easily um, you know, undergo normal surgery procedure, uh, it decreases dramatically, premature deaths of newborns, etc. So we take it for granted uh, because we have penicillin and all those other fabulous antibiotics that works well. Unfortunately, <laughs> the forecast is that by 2050, which is only 30 years from now, the number of deaths led because of AMR is going to be tenfold. So we're going to have 10 million people that will not be able maybe to undergo normal surgery, etc. because they won't have any treatment, any prophylactic preventive treatment that they can take. This is going to surpass the number of cancer deaths worldwide. So that's huge. I think everyone knows how cancer is important. So it's going to be worse. So I think here we really have a role as well to educate ourselves, to learn more. What can we do to decrease, you know, uh, potential antibiotics consumption in humans, but not only in humans in animals as well, because remember, <laughs> we eat a lot of them. So what you eat is what you become in a way. So the impact is really on, on a large, uh, large scale. So we should really, I think, keep learning more about that field. That's one of the course that's for me is the most fascinating in One Health, where it's the next, let's say, the next big challenge uh, for human health so we can tackle it with a One Health approach, hopefully. Yeah, thanks for adding that. And I also had a conversation on one of the previous episodes of the podcast with someone who had worked in this field as well. And right now you just mentioned something to explain the scale of this issue, really. And it's that there's also antibiotics that are given to animals. I think that's a very critical point that doesn't come to mind immediately, especially, you know, for me when I'm thinking AMR. Yes, and I agree. For me as well, it was, it was a bit of a, of a wake-up call during my, my course, and as well how uh, in the environment, you know, those um, resistant bacteria as well can be uh, surviving based on the ecosystem they are in, potentially because of... Uh, human activities, uh, pollution, and things like that. And that's another aspect that for me was completely unheard of. So again, AMR, a very interesting topic. If you get the chance to, to learn more about it, that's, um, that's something I would definitely recommend. One of the, the key initiatives uh, currently undergoing, for instance, in Canada, is called CPARS. And the idea is really about having an integrated program for antimicrobial resistance surveillance. And here, one key aspect is really that they bring, um, let's say, the public health office together with the animal health office uh, within the country to work closely together. So being co-located in, in the same building and having a joint work stream to learn more from each other activities. But 
Most importantly, when there is a new virus detected, for instance, in some animal or wildlife, they can more quickly as well discuss if there is a potential impact uh, with their human health colleagues. It's a very tangible initiative currently uh, happening in, in Canada that brings a lot of uh, positive outcomes, I should say, in the AMR management and surveillance. That's a very good example. And as you say, it makes it more tangible. So you can really see where are the areas of collaboration and what are the outcomes on that. Now, before we close the discussion, you know that I like to get a sneak preview into what my guests are listening to in terms of music, but also what they're reading. So are you ready for my quick three questions? Yes, I am. Okay, let's go. First question, what is the book that you're reading right now? Or what is the song that you are constantly listening to? So I'm reading a book written by a, by a friend of mine called Jane Piper, and it's called Focus in the Age of Distraction. She wrote it three years ago, and I have to say it's very apropos nowadays uh, because we spend so much time, you know, on screens behind computer and mobile phones, uh, especially during the pandemics. It's hard to really be focused on one task at a time. So she gives a lot of tips, which I enjoy very much. I'm still in the first second, uh, in the second chapter of this book, but I will definitely recommend it to, to anyone. It's an easy read. Question two, is there a song or an artist or perhaps even a book that has particularly resonated with you at a specific time in your life? So for me, it's more an artist. In fact, it's a band, The Beatles. I, I used to listen a lot to them when I was younger through my parents. I had the, the red and the blue albums for the people that, that know uh, that. And I enjoyed I enjoy because there was a little booklet where I could read the lyrics in English. And for me, it was like learning English at the time. And I enjoyed their, the lyrics. I find most of their songs, at least from the Red Album, very positive and brings a lot of joy to me. And I still enjoy nowadays to listen to them regularly. Third and last question. What is your all-time favorite book or your all-time favorite album that you absolutely recommend? So my favorite book is Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind by Yuval Noah Hari. Maybe you've heard about it. I cannot describe in, 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 uh, in a nutshell what it's about because it's so fascinating. It's really about the, the evolution of us, of the human species putting it in the context of uh, the different revolution, agricultural, revolutional. Um, yeah, it's something that really it attracted me and I, I still have a lot of uh, interest to learn more and to see how we can define humanity, which way we're going, basically. I think it speaks a, a lot of truth uh, that, and it, it asks a lot of questions, basically, which don't necessarily have an answer yet, but I think it's uh, it's very thought-provoking book that I would recommend. It's actually very interesting that you mentioned that book because my first guest on this podcast series recommended the other book from the same author, which is Homo Deus. Coincidentally enough, I actually received both these books recently. And now that I've heard from two different people that these are really books they absolutely recommend. I can't wait to start reading them. So Fanny, it's been really nice to have this conversation with you. And I really look forward to, to your journey throughout One Health and where it's going to bring you. 
and especially how you will implement this in your professional life. It's a journey, as you mentioned. Now, thanks a lot for, for the opportunity, Claire, to discuss with you on, on One Health and, and other related global health topics. That was episode six, a conversation with Fanny Kaufman. Fanny is definitely one of the most optimistic, positive, and curious person I have come to know. She is now on an ambitious journey to find solutions to global challenges through the One Health approach. I truly hope we were able to trigger your interest in the area of One Health and that you'll have the chance to check out some of the resources Fanny mentioned. You'll find all the links and references from our conversation on the podcast website. So just type in your browser, narratives-of-purpose.podcastpage.io and click on the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in today and listening to this new episode. I really appreciate you taking the time. Make sure you follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram or Twitter to get timely updates. Until the next episode, take care of yourselves, stay well and stay inspired.